This is Payments Innovation. We take you deep into the DNA of digital finance with some of the most respected voices in the industry. Let's dive in. Hello and welcome to the Payments Innovation Podcast. Uh, I'm James Tignadrini, your host for today's episode. Today we're talking about an area of payments that has probably a more profound impact on people's lives than any other area of financial services. Today we're talking about remittances. Global remittances hit $794 billion in 2022, and the UN have a renewed commitment to focusing on this global phenomenon. And it's time for us to dive into today the human stories behind these payments and the profound impact they have not only on the health of individuals, but the health of nations and the GDP of the globe as a whole. And I honestly couldn't think of two better guests to have alongside me to delve a little bit deeper into the socioeconomic, the technical, the commercial, the political influences on the remittances market. So without further ado, I'd love to welcome Camilla Bullock, CEO and co-founder of the Emerging Payments Association Asia. I'm going to say EPAA from now on, if that's all right with you, Camilla. That's fine. Thank you for having me. <laughs> and Artak Melkonyan. And I'm going to try and get this right, Artak, but please correct me if I'm wrong. Senior Advisor on Equity Financing and Funds, United Nations Development Group Financial Sector Hub. Did I get it? Well, yeah, Sustainable Finance Hub. Perfect. Thank you. So, Camilla, can you just give us a brief introduction of yourself and, and the role that the EPAA plays, particularly in the APAC payments ecosystem? Yeah, absolutely. So thank you again for having me. And I have the pleasure of running the Emerging Payments Association Asia. We are a branch organization for participants in the payments industry. And with that, I mean really anybody who moves money or support the movements of money. Our focus is policy and advocacy with the vision of improving lives everywhere through payments. And we host conversation on making sense of what's going in and being that unified voice into regulators. Thanks, Camilla. So Artak, I touched on the fact that the UN Sustainable Development Goals, the SDGs, identify remittances as a, as a lifeline for, for many struggling families and communities in developing countries. I was hoping you could kick us off by giving us an overview of your role, but also the role that the UN is playing in supporting this Sustainable Development Goal. Yes, uh, thanks, James. So I'm part of Sustainable Finance Hub of UNDP, and uh, one of the major areas that we're looking at is engaging both the public and private finance sector in addressing the Sustainable Development Goals. First of all, what are the SDGs? The SDGs are the global vision around which all the governments have been aligned. And one of the distinguishing aspects of SDGs is that this recognition of the role of the private sector. Within the SDGs, we have SDG number 10, and within that, the goals, which is about equality, equal opportunities, we do have a specific goal that uh, refers to remittances. And that is uh, defined as reducing the cost of remittances, right, below 3%. Within that SDG 10, we, we talk about equality, and which also includes the um, such things as migrant policies or everything related to migration and global concept of equality. Now, in terms of the significance of remittances, definitely this is very important because if we look at the overall volume, uh, well, the volume of remittances is about uh, four to five times more than the volume of official development assistance. Another element which is important with remittances is it is stable. It's relatively stable. It's much more stable than, for example, the FDIs, which are very volatile uh, during the, uh, depending on the year. So 
from that perspective, the role of the remittances for socioeconomic development of these countries is really, really hard to overestimate. Thank you, Artek. And, and something that I think you said there is, is super interesting. The volume is higher than that of almost federalized aid into those countries. And, and you know, this is a direct form of, of bringing people out of, of poverty, realistically. And I'd love to hear from Camilla. I know that Artak talked about those three channels, but touching on maybe two of those channels, both the migrants and, and the recipients. I'd love to hear if there are stories that you've heard about the importance that this means and, and how people within your ecosystem are helping to drive that. Yeah, I think, uh, I mean, we are in the region with most mobile population in the world by far, and there's so many migrant workers sending money home. And I think when you hear the stories and the impact, it's not just the dollar value that being sent home, it is actually enabling financial inclusion. Because many people are receiving those in, in wallets, for example, and those wallets also give those receivers other financial services like insurance or, or a way of having a saving account without having a bank account. But even more so, I think it's uh, fascinating when you're hearing the impact of those remittances and how it enables education or micro-investments into to smaller agriculture companies and the flywheel, flywheel effect of a few dollars can mean so much more for a market uh, and helping them into to being a stronger economy. Does that create an element of over-dependency? If there is a strong labour force in a country, but funds are being sent back, does it create over-dependence? But what you're saying there actually is it creates maybe a flywheel of entrepreneurship, people being able to start their own businesses. Artak, is that, is that something that, that you see from um, your work with the UN? To answer to that question, we really need to look at the economy, right? We have, a, in this region, we have some places such as Togo or Samoa, where remittances are basically 50% in Togo, 34% in Samoa right, of GDP, which is really, really high. I mean, if not dependency, uh, but at least dependence uh, of the economy on remittances is quite high here. And there are other countries like that within Asia. Now, if we go to the micro level and we speak about uh, an individual and the role of remittances in the economic life of, of the household, uh, again, uh, what we try to do is when we work on the uh, recipient side to drift away from the concept of financial inclusivity to the concept of financial prosperity. So it's not only the access to the funds or whether it is remittances or whether it is credit coming from microfinance institution, but it is the skills, financial education on how to use those funds, you know, how to save, how to invest, how to convert uh, a remittance into a productive and efficient uh, service. But I guess it's, it's also as simple as it's actually increasing the purchase power in that market. So so merchants is getting customers. So it is so many different roles at place. And we talked about remittances as a, as a lifeline, but actually maybe that's the wrong way of thinking about it. What we're hearing here is this isn't just about survival, which is often the way we think about remittances. It's about people in really desperate need. And, and this isn't to say they are, but it's about not just being inclusive, but people being able to thrive, not just survive. Speaking to some of our clients at Currency Cloud, you know, we work with, with some of the largest remittance companies in the world. Again, Artak, I think the way you looked at it in that migrant channel and recipient piece is super interesting. And we talked about cost, and I think we'll go on to that in a second. But what are the other key challenges we need to solve? I would say that 
that is the cost that is still could go down. But the costs that are driving remittance cost up are still those around one of the things around regulation, AML and mm-hmm. CFT, and how remittance companies are solving for those and that regulations are so different from market to market. And it's not always that transparent of licensing requirements and regulation requirements in those markets that are the most expensive corridors or sometimes um, less developed countries. Well, yeah, I would support Camilla's point uh, about the cost. So cost uh, really does matter in this case and the the regulations. uh, You know, there are no uniform uh, regulation in in this regard, in regard of remittances, but there are many others, other regulatory areas which are affecting uh, remittances. It might be tax, it might be foreign exchange, it might be national payment system, uh, you know, money laundering, uh, you, you name it. And sometimes, you know, all these are interfering together, making things quite difficult. But I would take it to a larger concept. So we start from the migrants. The first aspect here is to make sure that the migrants are properly integrated in their societies, right? So we do have equal access to social services. Because it, it, Why it is important? Because that uh, makes more money available to be sent to their home country if they are properly integrated in the society. The second aspect is a channel, and this is where we talk about the technologies. Today, we are going to talk about digital solutions, right, most probably, but that's less than 10% of uh, all the transfers, uh, well, uh, remittances today, despite of uh, that area growing, uh, because the practice today is, is what, you know, uh, I'm a migrant uh, in the country, so when I earn in a local currency, which needs to be changed to a foreign currency once it is received in the other country. So that's one. Second, it's uh, most of the transactions are over the counter, right? So we go to some counter, we pay, uh, and when we uh, usually send an SMS or a call to the recipient in the other country, so they go to another counter and, and when they collect it. So a lot of those physical uh, uh, you know, transactions happening, which definitely makes everything very expensive. I'd love to dive in on that as well, because I think there's an, there's an expense piece to that. And, and I was talking to a client the other day, and they were using the example of Cambodian workers working in Thailand, working in agriculture in Thailand. And the very traditional way that money gets sent home is that every month, one of the members of, of the working party gets nominated, they collect all the funds, they go to the local you know, money changer or, or the local remitter, whoever that may be. They send the funds across and then back on the other side, someone from the village goes and collects the funds and then goes and disperses the cash out again. Now, obviously, there's an expense element to that, but there's a huge risk element to that as well, right? You hear stories of people being robbed. And my question to the group here is, we saw during COVID that actually non-cash transfers went up because there was literally the, the inability for people to go and queue and put cash through. And actually, as much as remittances dipped, it wasn't as much as probably was expected. We saw the over 65s, again, still a group who are still remitting funds, started using online remittance services for the first times. Do we need to try and drive that amount of non-cash payment up? Or is that a, is that a futile battle? Is that just never going to happen in the world that we're working within? The cashless story is still evolving and how much we even develop technologies and government incentives, it's often coming down to hesitant to actually use digital payments. And that comes time often to a tax question. So I think, yes, it is actually moving people into that digital economy. But even when we look at remittance, 30 to 80 percent are still happening in informal channels. So it's still a huge 
remittance lump there that sits outside the system. And then when we're talking about risk, it's even more so because that is actually money smuggling or or other AML incentives to get the money over or using social media channels and that. So that is probably a first one to tackle. The infrastructure in itself, so actually the, the access to connectivity. Uh, we were in a discussion before, we talked about real-time payments and somebody highlighted to me that in Papua Guinea, one gigabyte of mobile connectivity is fourteen about $14. In Australia, that's $2. So, I mean, it's a huge cost in actually using those digital channels if you at all have access to them. So knowing that we've got that World Bank target of driving down the cost of a remittance payment from 6% to 3%, I believe that's on a $200 payment. It feels like there's a few factors at play here because we know that people want to make a difference in the private sector, but they also want to make a profit. So how, and I guess I'll take this is very much aimed at you at this point, is how do you in the UN working on that goal work with the private sector to drive that down, knowing that they maybe sometimes have other... Um, are the driving forces at play? We at UNDP, as we will look at different aspects of the cost, uh, and uh, including not only the technology, but also the other elements that needs to be addressed in uh, the dispatching and recipient country. Our sister agency, UNCDF, has a dedicated program. It's called Migrant Money, uh, which is entirely focused on the issue of remittances and where, where yes, we work with the private sector, especially in those countries where implementing those technologies might be challenging. We work with governments on those regulatory issues, trying to come up with a conducive setup to reduce or drive the cost down a little bit, depending on particular setup. The international development banks like ADB here in Asia, we have their own set of instruments. We work with the banking system, with the same government or regulatory aspect. There are so-called de-risking mechanisms behind that as well. So those de-risking mechanisms sometimes are also offered to the providers from the private sector. And Camilla, I'd love to know, have you seen success stories here? Because again, you can think about this on a spectrum, right? You have your Western unions, MoneyGrams, huge global players, through to niche people servicing single routes of remittance and sometimes people that aren't even doing money movement at all. They're paying people's medical bills or they're enabling groceries to be bought. I'd love to see, you know, is there anything super innovative or super successful that you've seen comes through your door, particularly in APAC? I don't think we can have this discussion and not mentioning UPI. UPI out of India is really a game changer for remittance, specifically looking at, for example, the connection into Singapore earlier this year. Remittance between Singapore and India is one billion US dollars. And I think that the cost before was substantial. And now it's for free because UPI is still keeping peer-to-peer payments free. I mean, that is a game changer. And in our region, we have several of those bilateral agreements coming into place now between different uh, national infrastructure. And I think what needs to be done there and what the next step is that is really making it transparent of how you access those new rails. James, uh, if I may add, it's a little bit of a chicken and egg issue, right? Uh, when we talk about uh, cost and the volume, uh, definitely the higher the volume, the better chances of reducing the cost. And this is where we need to showcase that, uh, listen, and, and this is what our digital finance people are looking at, that uh, bringing digital finance into realities uh, will result in addressing bigger number of unbacked or underbank population. I think you mentioned previously when we spoke, there's a, there's a really direct link between the rise in remittance and the, uh, I guess, the, the decline in poverty. 
Could you touch on that just a little bit for our listeners? Yes, there is actually statistics, a research, a substantiated one, uh, you know, it shows that uh, increase just for 1% in remittances will uh, result in 22% of decrease in poverty in uh, average numbers. But that's a sort of a very impressive statistics that is super illustrative to demonstrate the role of the remittances in uh, socioeconomic development of these countries. It's probably the most stable, impactful financial instrument or financial means that are going to those countries to support their economies on many sides. Fantastic. Camilla, any final thoughts on that? I mean, it's always on this topic. It's it's hard to not like float in to be philosophical almost also. But it's that as going back to you saying lifeline or being dependent on it is actually often people that moved out from the country and helping their own people or their own family. And as such, I think it's probably easier to influence that the money is going into education or helping that family and, and not just consumption. I'm just thinking if I had moved away far away from my family and is supporting my siblings or, or something like that, it's a feeling in it much more than just uh, aid. Thank you very, very much, my guest today. I think as, as we could have talked for hours and I think there is still a huge amount of work to be done, but there are some huge success stories to see here. And I think you know, the most wonderful thing is those success stories are human success stories. People setting up micro businesses, people being able to support a family where they may not have been able to previously. And I know we have a vast amount of people working in the remittance space who uh, listen to this podcast. So please feel free, reach out, tell us what we got wrong, tell us what we got right. And thank you very much, everyone, for listening to another edition of the Payments Innovation Podcast. I've been your host, James Tiderini, and we really look forward to seeing you again next time. Thanks for joining us here on Payments Innovation. We'd love to hear your thoughts and ideas about the show. Connect with Currency Cloud on Twitter or LinkedIn to find out more. And remember to subscribe via your favorite podcast player.